Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. Hey, good morning. It is such a joy to be with you, and we're so excited to be at The Gathering. Wow. Um, amazing. And uh, I wanted to just say thanks so much to Pastor Matt for opening up the door, for letting us uh, to come here. And really, I've decided to kind of change um, what we were doing. And instead, I'd like to all talk with you about the joys of selling Tupperware under our family business. Is that okay? No, I'm teasing. Um, I wanted to introduce you to my family real quick. Um, in fact, would you guys put the picture of our family on the screen? So if you see all these folks up here, we have half of them here in this room today, which is pretty amazing. So honey, would you stand up real quick and give a wave? And Rochelle and I have been privileged to uh, be married for 30 years and traveling and teaching on the Holy Spirit all over the world these last 30 years. And then we have three adult kids. We've got two of them here. Some of you know Braden and Liv over here. And, and uh, amazing. We're so thankful for them. And then on the other side is our middle son and his wife, um, Isabel and Dolan. And they are, are both pastors on staff at the same church in Austin, Texas, where it is like 110 degrees and like 100% humidity. How many of you know God sends people to the hardest places and all that country music too? God help them. And then in the middle is our youngest son, Barrett. And uh, he's finishing up, um, starts here in a couple of weeks, his final year of college um, at uh, Southwestern Assemblies of God University outside of Dallas, and so it's not quite as hot, but you still have to put up with all the Cowboys fans, so, you know, everybody's got a cross to bear, so, um, but if you're interested, you can grab one of our uh, ministry uh, prayer cards back on the table in the foyer, kind of by the coffee, and you can remember us in prayer. Um, even if you, if you don't have a prayer life, this is a good place to start, because we're pretty terrible, and we need lots of prayer. But, um, but if you'd seriously remember us over the last 30 years, um, God has been so amazing to send us all over the place. I think it's like 70 countries now. It's crazy. And, and, um, but God even sends us to the difficult places. He sends us to places like um, open sewage running in the streets, places like Michigan. And I hope that you'll, you'll pray for us and remember us there. Um, this next week, we're actually in, we're in Ohio still. We're Dayton, is that right? Miamisburg. And then... Um, then the, I don't know, a week or so after that, we're in Africa, we're in Kenya and Tanzania, and then we're, I don't know, Oklahoma. It's even worse than Michigan, but pray for us. Um, there's books and other materials back there. Um, if today um, God stirs your heart for a greater hunger for the Holy Spirit, I'd recommend you consider um, this little book, Goodbye Chicken, Hello Dove. It's all about uh, how the Holy Spirit wants to help and minister in your life. And if you're just a crazy Holy Spirit junkie, we've got all kinds of materials back there. We've got books, and then we also have um, like a USB media card that's got a whole Bible school on the Holy Spirit on it. It's like 30 hours of audio and video on all kinds of stuff on the Holy Spirit, and, and if you're interested, take advantage of it. Well, let's dive in on this talk for a few minutes. Um, I just wanted to let you know one more announcement. At the end of the service, we're going to pray. Is that okay? Is it okay if we pray in church? All right. I don't know about you, but I don't think like I'm at the professional level of praying, right? Um, but the good news is God loves amateur prayers, and if you don't feel you're very good at it, or maybe you have the medical condition that I battle with, spiritual attention deficit disorder, you know, you go to pray and like two seconds later, you're making a shopping list, but your hands are still up or whatever. Um, the good news about it is that, uh, that God is a tremendous father. He's the very best and he's really patient with us. And our goal is not perfection in prayer. Our goal is more connection in prayer, right? And so, so we're going to spend some time in prayer. I'm going to end a little bit early and so we can make sure we uh, be 
lead all the Baptists to the Golden Corral or whatever you've got here. And, um, but we're going to spend some time in prayer. So I want I, everyone, I hope everyone will pray. In fact, I pray punitively if you don't pray at the end of the service for just a few minutes that you'll get indigestion from lunch. I hope that's okay, all right? So let's look at our subject today is on spirit baptism. And, and I want to, uh, we'll get to that and kind of define that in just a moment. But I want to ask you two questions to kind of get the ball rolling today. What could you do for God in your lifetime? Pretty big, open-ended question. You know, what could you do? Well, right away, you start thinking, you know, well, I could do anything. I could, you know, leap tall buildings in a single bound. I could, you know, heal the cancer of Michigan fans, you know, uh, that, you know, whatever. I could, you know, do this stuff, you know. Ooh. All right. So, but um, I thought I was safe to do that here. But, um, you know, you kind of think about it, but then the longer you boil that question down, don't you kind of start thinking about yourself? Because, you know, we have a limited amount of time, and, you know, we all have different skills and passions and possibilities, and then we all know our weaknesses, right, and abilities, lack of abilities. And so the question, the more you kind of begin to cook it down, you the potential kind of becomes smaller. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, theoretically with God, anything's possible, whatever, but I have a job, and I've got to, you know, pay bills, and I've got a mortgage, um, and so, you know, I've got this and I've got that and I've got, you know, then, you know, I got problems. How many are sitting by someone that's got some pretty evident problems today, right? So you got, you know, and that's just theirs and theirs are worse than yours, right? And so we, you kind of, the question kind of closes in, the walls close in on that. And you begin to kind of moderate that question by, well, what can I do? The focus of that, um, if you go to the next one real quick, the focus of that question goes from, what, um, what could I do? Instead, it goes into what's possible, you know. Sorry, I'll give you the wrong slide on that. But what's possible for me? What could I do, you know? And so that's just kind of, kind of a weird question. It kind of starts out, anything's possible. But then you kind of begin to think, well, you know. Like, for example, um, we, with the Royal Family Kids Camp, which is an awesome ministry. And I hope everybody signs up to help out tomorrow, right? At what time? Seven in the morning? Maybe nine would have been a more reasonable time. No, I'm teasing. All right. But, um, but tremendous, tremendous ministry. And, and so you go, well, you know, I could, well, you know, I don't know. I, you know, my ministry is more cooking or I'm more of a, you know, I'm more of a, you know, get it done, help you with build something or whatever. We kind of think about what's possible for me. But then the second question on this that kind of modifies it is what could I do for, my, for God in my lifetime if I didn't have my limitations, right? Because if we were having some kind of a church outreach where, I don't know, in the parking lot, you had a bunch of things going on. You had like a bounce house for kids and you had free hot dogs and a prayer tent and, you know, kind of one of those churchy, festival-y kind of get people on the property and, you know, let them know you're here kind of events, kind of common for churches sometimes. You'd have a, a sign-up sheets like clipboards in the back and then the church app, you'd have like 25 different things. Well, yeah, we need people to, you know, paint faces and people to cook hot dogs and people to change oil for widows. And we need all these, you know, different things we're going to do, people in the prayer tent. And you go back there and you would look at all those possibilities and you would say, well, what do I feel comfortable in doing? And you would make that decision based on your own sense of capability and your own sense of, hey, I can do that. Like you wouldn't want me cooking the beans, you know, unless you want to have salmonella, you know. 
Uh, it's just not a gift that I have. And so, you know, maybe I could help you change your oil or something. I like to twist wrenches and, you know, whatever. Or you go, well, maybe I could paint faces. I've, I've never done that before, but I think I've got a roller in the garage. And, you know, I, you know, whatever. And so you kind of, you kind of think about that. But if there's something that's off your radar, out of your own self-perception of skills, you would immediately cancel it out. Our subject today, spirit baptism, is about God augmenting your life with his supernatural ability. Have you noticed from the Bible that God likes to call people out of their comfort zone and do things with them that they're not comfortable with and that they never thought they could do, right? Which is kind of weird for us because kind of the whole goal of the American dream is ever increasingly for your life to be more comfortable, right? Kind of runs against the grain of the kingdom of God. And so it's interesting. We can either have a life of more comfort and more leisure, or we can have a life of greater purpose and effectiveness. And I'm not saying that leisure is bad and whatever, but I hope you feel the tensions that are in there. God is calling us out of our own self-identity. He's calling us out of our own capabilities because within your lifespan, whether it's you know, 60 years or 100 years from now, you know, whatever it might be, or whether it's brief, God has great things for all of us. And I think we kind of theoretically believe that, but then we add our own algebra into that very simple equation. You know, well, I could except for, and then you add in your own junk, right? But our topic today, spirit baptism, is about God infusing your life with his limitless potential and power so that you can do the things he wants you to do and you can have tremendous rippling outward power and effectiveness. Could we go to the slide that has the chart on it real quick? I think it's like third one in. So look at this real quick. This kind of helps us to factor in the context for the Holy Spirit's ministry because, you know, we sing about the Holy Spirit. We see his name in the Bible. He's got that one brief cameo appearance like a dove at the baptism of Jesus, but he's not a dove, but he made that appearance at one time in human history in that way. And so there are two basic areas of the Holy Spirit's ministry for us. So this is kind of how we look at him, how we interact with him. You've got two matters that deal with spiritual purity and two matters that deal with spiritual power. On the spiritual purity side, the most important, you have salvation. How many of you are saved? You've given your life to Jesus. Glad the pastor Shanna raised their hand. Good. Okay. All right. Um, so that's always a good sign for a church. Um, and so salvation is actually an activity of the Holy Spirit. We are saved because of the blood and sacrifice of Jesus, but it's the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And it's like, likewise the Holy Spirit who raises us up out of our sin. He cleanses us at the moment of salvation, and he comes to live inside of us. From the moment you're saved onward, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, whether you feel him or not. Right, And a key cap chapter on this is Romans chapter 8 in the Bible that helps us understand the Holy Spirit's role in salvation. And there in verse 9, he says, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, period. If he doesn't live inside of you, you're not a Christian. And so every one of us as believers has the Holy Spirit living inside. He helps us to connect with God when we worship, when we pray, when you're very aware of God. How many of you have ever been really aware of God's presence in your life? Hopefully a lot of times. What you're sensing is the Holy Spirit stirring inside of you as a believer. And so then the second level, sanctification. This is also on the purity thing. But this is from the moment after you're saved until we either meet the Lord or, or pass away. 
it's God's ideal that we would always grow in spiritual purity and, uh, and become less like ourselves and more like Jesus. Anybody kind of sick of yourself? Doesn't it get worse the older you get? And it's like, good night, I'm driving me nuts, you know? And so sanctification is uh, this process. Um, when we're saved, we're as clean as clean can be, but the problem is we keep on breathing, right? And so this sanctification process is partnering with the Holy Spirit in so many ways and His power to ever-increasingly purify us in greater ways. And so you can see in Galatians 5, he talks about that there, verses 16 through 23. And then the spiritual power side. This is where our topic is today. This is not spiritual power over other people or power to use as you wish, you know. God, with my plan and your power, we're going to really, you know, do something. Not like that, not political power. This is power to do the mission of Jesus. Jesus only empowers his mission. He doesn't empower our ideas, right? And so um, this spirit baptism, our topic today is this infusion of power that comes upon Christians there's literally an entire book of the Bible devoted to us to understand that after we're saved, all those things that stir in our heart that we'd like to do for the Lord, but we feel incapable of doing, God wants to give us the power to get them done, to build his kingdom. And so, and we'll define that even more in a moment. And then on top of that, Holy Spirit gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, I'm sure you've read about those before, and you see very different, additionally, extra giftings on top of that general anointing of power that comes with spirit baptism. So I want to ask you to do something with me. Would you real quick stand with me to your feet in honor of the reading of God's word? And we're going to read out loud the Bible together. It will be the best thing you've read all day, the best thing you've heard all day. How many of you would wave a hand at me saying the Bible's changed my life, right? So let's give it our best attention. We're going to read two portions together real quick. The first part is out of Acts chapter 1, where Jesus has already died, risen again from the dead. He's getting ready to ascend to heaven. So he's already breathed the Holy Spirit into them at their salvation, John 20, after his resurrection. They already have the Holy Spirit inside like you and I do. And then he promises another dimension of the Spirit coming outwardly upon them to give them outward power. Then the second part we're going to read is the first time it happened, the day of Pentecost, about the year AD 30, about a week or so later when Jesus first poured out the Holy Spirit outwardly upon his followers. You ready to read out loud with me? Big and bold, your best voice, all right? How about a corporate clearing of the throat to prepare? All right, that's a bad idea. Okay, here we go. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit 
and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Father, thank you so much for your power coming upon us. Thank you that your Holy Spirit was moving upon us even before we were saved, convincing us that we needed Jesus. And then at the moment of our salvation, you came to live inside of us, Holy Spirit. And then you want to come and empower us, clothe us externally with the Holy Spirit's power to do the mission of Jesus in our lives. Would you help us to stop looking downward at our own inabilities and instead to look upward at your limitless possibilities? I pray you to awaken every one of us in this room to allow you to affect our life mission so that we can fulfill your will for our lives, not just blindly follow everybody else around us. Thank you, God, for your unique giftedness. And I pray, Lord, today that you would enable every hungry seeker in this room to have a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, trying to follow your pattern of ministry on the earth where he always taught about the kingdom and healed the sick, I welcome your healing presence just to begin to fall in this room right now. In fact, Lord, I pray just as a byproduct of you being here that many people would suddenly begin to find themselves kind of accidentally healed. Would you just marinate us, Lord, from the most temporary condition to the most critical needs in this room? We welcome your grace today. Amen. 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 You can be seated if you like. Feel free to go back to sleep. So... Let's, let's do a definition real quick of what spirit baptism is. Now, again, we don't have the time to go throughout the entire scriptures and kind of, you know, sculpt out the whole thing. But I just want to kind of give you a framework and then hone in real quick. So when we go to our prayer time, we kind of know the pathway that we're walking on. And in a few moments, many in this room will encounter spirit baptism for the first time. Many um, that have already experienced. How many have already experienced spirit baptism? been a game changer, hasn't it? Right? And your God has a fresh anointing for you to download in a moment. And then there's probably some others in this room that you go, okay, this is the first time I've heard about this for whatever reason. I've always missed that Sunday before. And you got me thinking, but I'm just not quite sure I'm there. That's okay. There's no pressure. Salvation is the big deal, right? Okay. But Maybe God will use this in your seeking time and your prayer time throughout this week because it's very common. We've seen over the last three decades, people will sit under a teaching like this and they'll, their wheels will begin to turn. God will work on them. And then all of a sudden they're out pulling weeds and they get baptized in the Holy Spirit or they're, they're changing their oil or they're gardening or something like that. And just people just need some time to kind of process things. And that's good because God's a process God, isn't he? Right? Well, apparently not by your response, but I, th I think he is nonetheless not teasing. So uh, go to the next one, please. Here's a definition, a simple definition. What is baptism in the Holy Spirit? So spirit baptism is the prophesied empowering of the Holy Spirit. Um, when that word prophesied is key, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, Moses, is the first prophetic reference of spirit baptism in the Bible, Numbers 11, 29. One day in the future, all of God's people will be prophetically empowered. In other words, God will empower them to say things, you know. The whole idea of prophetic is that um, 
Well, non-prophetic is when you're just saying what you are thinking or I am thinking, but prophetic is when you and I are saying what God is causing us to say, what he wants us to say. It's very simple, so that we would all be prophetic and that the Holy Spirit would come upon all of us. So you got Moses, and there's a lot of others, but I'm just hitting the big ones, and then the greatest prophet of the New Testament, as testified by Jesus, John the Baptist. John the Baptist prophesied this in the beginning of each of the Gospels, that he would only dunk people in water, but the one coming after him is greater, and he would baptize or dunk them in the Holy Spirit. And then who's the greatest prophet of all and everything else? Jesus himself, right? More, much more than a prophet. But, but he prophesied Acts 1-5. He looks back and he says, John dunked you in water, but in a few days I will dunk you, drench you, baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to do that at the day of Pentecost. So if you just want to, in a nutshell, look at the three biggest prophets of the Bible, all of them talk about this. Um, and it's given to followers of Jesus. So this is not salvation. Salvation stands alone. It's the thing that puts you into the kingdom of God. It's not like if you're saved and baptized in the spirit, then you get preferred parking and a discount on your tithe or a secret club thing. There's only one positive spiritual status and one negative. The negative one is we are lost without God, right? The positive one is when we are saved or born again belonging to God, and there's no status elevations. It's not like you can get an upgrade to a better mansion in heaven if you, you know, it's not like that. How many are glad that we're just saved and belong to God? I mean, it's, so this is not about, you know, getting a better status, but this is an after salvation anointing. It's always shown that way in the Bible. And it's received through increased intimacy with Jesus. And probably every person that's not super touchy-feely is uncomfortable in that sentence. But let me just explain. Everyone in the Bible that received spirit baptism took steps beyond their normal pursuit of Jesus to receive. They took extra steps, seeking, praying, whatever it might be, um, taking steps out of their normal routine in order to be baptized in the Spirit. Because a lot of people think, well, if Jesus wants to do it, he's just going to come and do it. But that's not what the Bible shows us. The Bible shows us that Jesus responds to our seeking. In fact, in a lot of ways, you and I have as much of the work of God in our lives as we've personally gone after, don't we? Yeah, So it's received through increased intimacy with Jesus, and it provides increased supernatural power to minister to other people. That word minister sometimes gets kind of uh, lost in people's hearts and minds because they go, you know, minister, I'm a plumber or whatever. But ministry is doing what God wants you to do in those moments to help other people. So beyond that, let me show you two more defining points real quick, and then we're going to pray. Deal? Okay, so number one, spirit baptism is biblical. This is not like some harebrained idea cooked up by somebody in the back boiler room, you know, in the back behind the church. But it is actually the desire of God, and it's framed out through the Bible in so many ways, much more than I can share with you now. If you want more information on it, we've got a little book back there called Want More that kind of walks through the whole biblical basis for this. But suffice it to say, if you look at the next one, just to kind of give us some biblical context, the, the terminology baptize in or with the Holy Spirit, that is Jesus dunking us, drenching us, or pouring out his spirit upon us, that terminology is used six times in the Gospels and Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that's John the Baptist. Acts 1-5, Jesus saying, this is the thing. And then Acts eleven sixteen. Peter looks back now and he goes, when the Holy Spirit comes upon people and there's this real specific supernatural sign, 
That is spirit baptism. And the reason why that's important is some people say, you know, spirit baptism is the same thing as salvation. But in order to win that argument, you have to beat John the Baptist, Jesus, and Peter. And I think you might lose that one, right? So, but it kind of helps us to see its biblical nature. And then look at the next one. Um, Spirit baptism happens five times in the book of Acts with groups of people, one time an individual. So we've got the day of Pentecost, which we read just the very beginnings of. We have the Samaritan Pentecost. We have Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle. And then the Gentile Pentecost, Acts 10. And then the biggest revival in the New Testament, the Ephesian Pentecost, that literally brought the gospel into all of Asia. I mean, that's a big, big, big deal um, that the book of Acts ends with. And in fact, you can trace the book of Acts by people getting baptized in the Spirit and then tracing afterwards the supernatural ministry that explodes out of their life and how God uses them in a greater way. So major, major portions of Scripture and context and threads and uh, about this through the Scripture. But where I want to land today is that Spirit baptism is functional. Because a lot of people think, well, okay, so this is like some Christian voodoo moment where they dim the lights and they turn the Yanny music on and then the pastors and elders sneak up behind you with the chloroform rag of the Holy Spirit and, you know, knock you out and you wake up in the drainage ditch in front of the church two weeks later having lost time with a bean can on your head going, what happened to me? Whatever. That's a very specific, but, but um, sorry. But um, my personal testimony, no. But, um, but because it has this supernatural aspect to it, you know, uh, people right away kind of think, oh, well, you know, I'm not wired that way and I love Jesus, but I don't want to lose my brain and, you know, this kind of stuff. But I think all of us long for really encountering God. Uh, we want to really experience him. And yet we also want to understand him more. I mean, wouldn't you love a selfie with Jesus, you know, uh, to have have that moment to encounter him? But he has this way, it's this romance that he does where um, he reveals himself in such a way that you can know in your inner being how real he is, but he doesn't satisfy your five senses, right? You know, it's even, we see it all the time because God's gracious to heal people, and a very common response when someone has a dramatic instantaneous healing like, hey, my eye born blind now suddenly sees, and they will, their norm, first thing out of their mouth is usually, I can't believe this. Is this real? Because their um, immediate sensory reality is being confronted by, you know, such a shift like that. God does those things, but in our walk with him, he also kind of has this dance, doesn't he? Where, you know, you see the sunset and you experience his presence in worship and you know he's walked with you and you see his miracles in your life. And, and yet he doesn't just come and knock on your door and go, here I am, can I have dinner with you? What do you have? Oh, maybe not tonight. That's not what I like. But whatever. You know, it, he has this way of kind, of kind of revealing himself and kind of hiding himself in certain ways. And it's, it's this thing that makes us hungry for him and makes us long for him and it confronts our need to be in control and understand and this function of spirit baptism is super important. Let's look at the next one if we can. So the top verse is the one verse in the Bible where more data is given on what happens when someone is in the process of being baptized in the spirit 
than any other single sentence in the Bible. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the word there, filled, in the original Greek text is not like an interior word. We would say you fill the glass on the inside. It's more the idea overflowing, saturated. So it's engulfed, because the Holy Spirit already lives inside of you, but he wants to drench you now, kind of gully wash you, with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit was giving them utterance. Of all the words in that sentence, the one that weirds people out the most is the other tongues part, right? You're like, wait a minute, we were normal Christians, and now all of a sudden it's getting weird, you know? It was somebody slipped some Red Bull in the communion juice, right? You know, I mean, that was fine, but, and right away people, you know, everything, everything centering in our brain goes, wait, why would I want to do that? Isn't that kind of, you know, you're kind of out of your mind, and you're kind of, and that's just for some people, and that's whatever. Uh, well, the Bible does teach us that the phenomena of speaking in a supernatural language, if it's a public gift that someone interprets, and maybe some of you have been in the room before when that's happened, that that indeed, that public gift that requires interpretation is only for a few people. 1 Corinthians twelve thirty, Paul says that. But this gift that comes with as the sign confirming spirit baptism is entirely different. This is deeply personal, deeply private. Nobody needs to hear you. Paul even talks about it and uses the verb to pray as this personal one. He never uses that for the public one. Um, this is deeply personal, deeply private, but it's also deeply challenging your comfort zone. The Bible says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them, saturating them, and they began to speak. I think a lot of times we think about like the function, you know, here you are just sitting in church, mild-mannered you, and all of a sudden Jesus mugs you, you know, and the next thing you're rolling on the floor, speaking in tongues, seeing visions of Jesus and Elvis and all this kind of stuff. But it's just not that way at all. A lot of people think that when the Holy Spirit is upon them, they're kind of like high or anesthetized or something like that. But it's really not that way. There are a few times in the Bible where we see the experience called the trance. It happens twice in the book of Acts, um, but very rare. And that is kind of when you're more aware of heaven than earth. And hardly anybody in the Bible ever experienced that. And that experience of the trance is never associated with spirit baptism. It's usually associated with God calling someone so far out of their comfort zone that he has to grab them by the lapels and shake them to wake them up, right? And so um, this idea, I found like instead of spirit baptism is not like you're high and you're floaty or whatever. You don't hear Pink Floyd music all of a sudden. But instead, when the Holy Spirit's upon you, you know him because he's lived inside of you. You don't go, hey, who is this? You know, you know him right away. And then when he moves upon you, he begins to prompt you. I found when the Holy Spirit is upon me, I'm not less aware of things. I actually have a heightened sense of awareness of God's presence and of the needs of other people around me. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, God can do things and maybe someone, you know, someone gets a little uh, different experience. But, but the uniform one shown in the Bible is that you pray and seek and draw near to Jesus. The same Holy Spirit who's lived inside of you, who you have caller ID for, he falls upon you. You know his presence. And then he prompts you and urges you verbally to begin to speak. And this is where people kind of overthink things. Well, what am I supposed to say? I don't know. That belongs to God. What if nothing comes out right now? No big deal. It always will if you keep on praying. You know, it's not like an all or nothing thing. 
We just want to always be climbing the mountain of God. But why is this tongues thing or this unknown language thing a big deal? Well, because of the bottom scripture there. So this is 10 verses later. This, uh, if you go to the top scripture, the bottom corner word there on the right, utterance, is a really weird word in the Bible. It's only used by Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts. And it's this word in, in the original Greek that says basically it's apothengamai. And basically it's you began to speak as someone else told you what to say or prompted you to speak. It's the word used um, outside of the Bible in the first century for the action of the prompter in a play when the actors forget their lines and they go, hey, psst, here's your lines, you know? Or like when you're on the phone and your mother-in-law is sitting beside you and she's telling you what to say. Boy, that was another specific one, wasn't it? Okay, so, but it's that kind of an idea. But then 10 verses later, that's when they're all filled. And then what happens next? If you know the story, a bunch of people gather around and they go, what's happening? Wow, this is God. And other people, no, I think it's Jack Daniels. You know, remember that? And then Peter takes a stand with the 11 and he raises his voice and he begins to declare to preach to the crowd. That word declared in that verse is actually the Greek word apothengamai, utterance. He began to speak out words outside of himself. And if you're reading this, and I know probably, and I'm not very good at it, but you're reading the New Testament in the original Koine Greek, right? You're reading this. This really jumps out to you. You go, oh, my goodness, he just did a word play. I see that what he's trying to do here, the same God, the same Holy Spirit who prompted him in a private, personal level, vulnerable level, to speak in a language he didn't understand, now, all of a sudden, when God's calling him to his mission to speak to lost people, same Holy Spirit's guiding him in those words. If you look at the next one, and this is verbal park, if you can trust God to guide you to speak in the unknown tongue, how much more can you trust him to guide your known language to minister to other people? And this is the connection. There's function involved in this because 99% of all ministering is communication. And he's trying to help us and trying to give us a sign that he's going to be with us and walk with us and help us. And probably every one of us have unsaved loved ones and families and friends. We also have all kinds. Of, you've been in those circumstances. I wish I just knew what to say right now. Here am I, Lord. Send Pastor Matt there, you know, kind of a thing. But he's kind of calling us out of that. And if you would put up the very last slide, and maybe you could leave it on the screen for the prayer time. This is simply how to receive this gift from God, and it's super easy, and, and some of you maybe uh, in, in a moment, I know many will receive and others will experience a fresh encounter, but some of you are still processing. Take a picture of this in your brain because it is this easy, and we get this out of Acts 2, 10, and 19 where these three elements are, the three times where a lot of details are given about what's happening when people are baptized in the Spirit in the book of Acts. Number one, seek. You've got to draw near to Jesus. Only Jesus can baptize you in the Holy Spirit. No matter who's praying with you, it's only Jesus. And then step two, find. You're going to discover all of a sudden as you're praying and seeking the Lord, the Holy Spirit is here. The dove has landed. I, I experience him, right? And then number three, when he's upon you, um, that's when you begin to act out and, and to say what he wants you to say and to follow those promptings. But I just want to attract your attention to number two. Is the, is the band, could the band come back up? Actually, maybe just anyone who's ever wanted to play an instrument. Come on up. Even if you don't, just try it out. Okay. Um, but look at number two for a moment. So you're praying. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will start falling upon you. It will happen 100% of the time. 
typically it happens pretty quick, honestly, because God really wants to do this. But the moment you begin to sense God is here, he's around me, falling upon me, at that moment, if you'll just do your best to quiet your heart, stop your speaking, and turn on your listener. Have you ever kind of dialed in an old-fashioned radio? Remember that, you know, kind of thing where you got to go through the static? I'm showing my age now. But you kind of go, and what do you do? You tune in on the blips, you know, blip, you know, kind of tune in then. It's the same way spiritually. Your brain is going to try, try to want to figure everything out, but your brain is not where this prompting is coming from. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, prompts our spirit. And so all you have to do is you just draw near to Jesus when you sense the Holy Spirit. Try to move your attention away from figuring everything out and try to tune in on the blips where you sense the Holy Spirit inside. And all of a sudden in that moment, there's just going to be some kind of prompting from outside of yourself. You'll know it's him because you'll feel his presence. And all you have to do is begin to speak or cooperate with the promptings that are there. And that whole time, what he's doing is he's teaching you how when you're at Tim Hortons, whatever, I mean, you know, there's a lot of Canadians that need Jesus, right? You're, but they brew good coffee, though, strangely. But you're, you're at Tim Hortons, and you're like, I got to tell that person about Jesus, but I don't know what to say. After you're baptized in the Spirit, you just quietly, without anyone knowing, you just begin to draw near to God. And when you sense the Holy Spirit, you tune in on the blips, and all of a sudden, he'll have words for you in English to say to them. Your biggest fear is really what this brings to your life, not the fear part, but the antidote part, right? And I've seen it happen in my life. I privilege of, uh, a few years ago, our son Brayden was there, and so was Rochelle, when I had the privilege of leading the man who killed my grandmother to the Lord, my grandfather. Had the privilege of leading my grandfather to the Lord, and I had tried everything to say to him, didn't know what to do, and uh, sent him Bibles in a million different ways and finally at, at his what was appearing to be his life's end um, I had a big wrestling with Matt. God I've told him everything I know to say and that's kind of when God roared inside good will you let me talk to him now you know and so I prayed as we drove across country to get to New York City and met him in a mall parking lot and still not sure what to say but when I got talking with him I'm quietly praying inside and sensed God's presence and in that moment it just kind of tuned in stopped trying to think what to do and instead trying to hear and all of a sudden tuned right in and God just gave me a sentence to speak to him in English of course and within a few minutes he was praying with me to receive Jesus all that's because I'm not some great personal evangelist but because God wants to empower us to do his mission and I want to ask you would you stand up with me across this room take a stretch real quick before we go to our cookouts and frisbee golf and whatever's going on or netflix marathon or i want to ask you if you would to bow your heads across this room with me and this is kind of shut out distraction for a moment the most important thing that can happen in someone's life is when they experience the forgiving saving power of jesus and we all need that we're desperate for him all of us have sinned you can look at my life and see it so clearly and I, I know if you're honest you can look at yours and see the same thing we've got a problem a spiritual problem of purity that requires a spiritual solution 
And this morning, if you, you know it in your heart of hearts because the Holy Spirit is here, you say, hey, I, I know I'm not living a right life before God, and I, I want to make things right with Him today. I want you to pray with me. I want you just to wave a hand at me wherever you're at. I won't single you out or embarrass you. If you're online, you can just drop a comment. I want to give my life to Jesus. Yeah, awesome. I'm going to pray a, a, a prayer of salvation. You can pray your own prayer, and that's fine. Um, God will hear you. There's no magic words. But often people just want a friend to kind of walk them through that process. And it would be my greatest honor to be that friend today. How many of you already know Jesus? Give me a wave of the hand. All right. So you've got a homework assignment right now while I'm praying this 20 seconds of prayer. You're not allowed to pray my own prayer. You've got to come up with your own. A fresh prayer of repentance before the Lord. Would you just ask him for a fresh cleansing? And then after you do that, would you just welcome him to the Holy Spirit to make you more pure and righteous in this coming week? Get some money in the bank. All right, I release you to do that right now. If you want to receive Christ, whether you're in this room or you're watching online, you could simply pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against others. I've even sinned against myself. And I cannot fix that. But you can. Savior, would you save me? Would you wash me clean? Give me a brand new start in life. I welcome your Holy Spirit to live inside of me from this day forward. I no longer belong to myself. I no longer belong to the enemy. But I belong to you, King Jesus. Thank you for that. Thank you for Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.